everyone. Welcome back to Two Black Thoughts. Happy Black History Month. It is now the month of February. Um, it's me, your co-host Angelique, and uh, my co-host Caleb. And we're going to talk to you all today um, about an update with everything that happened around the 2020 elections. Yeah, it's been a minute since we actually talked about any sort of political figures, I think. Um, but it'll be good to revisit the issue uh, so I guess first off, congrats to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on winning the election. Like I don't think we've actually officially done that. Yeah. Um, but yay! I think we got the president and the vice president we wanted. Um, I'm a little we 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 were kind of kind of critical of them. If you guys remember, we, we put out a podcast a while back. <laughs> we, oh excuse me, I might have been a little <laughs> critical of them. <laughs> I was gonna say. I mean, I, I think the brunt of the criticism was pretty one sided. Yeah, I was a little critical of them, but, you know, good job. They won, and now it's time to see what they can do. The first 100 days, supposedly, is probably the most, uh, what's the word, the most consequential time of being president. So we'll see what Joe Biden has to say about this, and let's see how Kamala Harris is going to help steer him. Angelique, uh, do we? I guess we should start by revisiting some of our old critiques or, you know, some of the thoughts we had at first. Yeah, I mean, I think... So the last time we talked about it, everything was still up in the air. We were still waiting on the last few tallies from the few outstanding states, um, which, I mean, I think we can pause right here just to say that one of the big consequential states, Georgia, did in fact turn blue and helped give Biden the election. Um, And we'll talk more about that uh, and how that happened a little later on. But um, when we were talking about it and when we were talking about you know, our concerns, I think, for me, I was mostly concerned about, like, what another four years of a Trump administration would look like. So all of my critiques of, of Biden and Kamala were just like, maintaining stability, I think, at its core, like, yes, are there plenty of ways where they needed to show significant improvement, but by and large, I was like, they are the option that beats out the really, really bad alternative. Um, but I think right. you, had pretty, <laughs> you had some pretty strong criticisms of them, I think, that were pretty interesting. You want to talk a little bit about those? Okay, strong criticisms may not, uh, it may be, may be a bit of an accurate word. Um, I might have just been a little heated <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> just a little heated, but I, I had concerns. I did have concerns. Um, I didn't. I didn't want Joe Biden to be elected and for him to do nothing with the position. Right. I, I had a strong fear that he would move into the office and the black people that helped put him there, the black people that, you know, he was seeking to represent. He wouldn't do his due, due diligence in creating policy that would help them in the long run, um, right. that would help put some of their voices forward. And I can honestly say that I've been a little impressed, not a lot impressed, just a little impressed and a little more hopeful than I probably was back in November. Um, obviously, he's still got almost another four years to go before we even have, you know, before we have a, you know, complete picture of what, you know, his administration looks like. Right. But I think that his policymaking has started off on the right foot. I think he's done a good job in terms of making sure that t- taking care of the environment is a priority, right? Um, I think he's been very clear in that stance. I think he's made very competent picks in terms of the people he wants in charge to help do that. I think that he's been very... I, while, I, while I'm not excited about his criminal justice reforms, because some of that involves putting more money in police departments, I do think his head's in the right place or his heart's in the right place in terms of making sure that money is going towards either 
competent reform or making sure officers are either trained better per se as if training does anything that's okay let me not get on that right but um <laughs> let me not get on that i his head's in the right place i'll say that much and i'm hoping someone else come and i'm hopeful that someone else will come along and help push him to do something a little more radical or a little more helping of individuals on our end of the spectrum but i i do think i think he's looking out for black folks and that's really i guess all i can ask for yeah. So then, I, with that in mind, do you think your criticisms of him were fair when you thought that ex- back in, in November? Extremely fair. Extremely fair. Because I think, I think when every black person went to go cast their ballot in this previous election, nobody, everybody, had the sense that we couldn't do another four years of Trump. But the question wasn't if we could. I don't think that was the most focal question. I think the most the thing that we needed to answer was. Was Joe Biden going to be able to alleviate some of the racial tensions and problems that we were having right then and there? And I don't think that was a like a definite yes, right? I don't I don't think it was for sure he's going to be able he's going to be the one to help push us forward on some of these social justice matters. And to be fair, and again to be fair to him, he has he's had a long career in Washington, right? And every I would say that every position he's had or every you know every time he's been in office anywhere any position of power he's become a little more progressive a little more forward thinking and a little more honest about what his policy making may have looked like in the past so yes my critiques were very fair um but i i'm again i'm keeping an open mind and i'm hoping that he lives up to the expectations we have for him it's interesting that you say that you know you don't think the focal point was whether or not we would have another four years of trump because i think you know we'll get into exactly what happened and how we felt about it later. But I think the Capitol riots were a pretty clear indication that that was a central part of this electorate. Like that was the focus. <laughs> Whether do we, do we, we should talk about them. We should just go ahead and get into it. Do we, I mean, okay. We, we can always come back to, to like the fact that, you know, Trump didn't show up to the inaugural speech because I do think that is very interesting. And I think a lot of stuff in that <laughs> needs to be discussed. Um, Cause I feel like, I feel like that's, like we we gotta we gotta tackle that and then we can go back to the to the Capitol riots because bro nobody wanted him there why would he go there like <laughs> why would he why what's one good reason he had to go to that inauguration because I think it's the it, it was the problem of his entire presidency which he just seemed to disrespect and completely ignore some of the foundational traditions that brought this country together. Like the inauguration is one of those things that no matter what was happening in the, in, in the country or in the world, like people celebrated that time. Like, even if you didn't agree with who was elected, that was a time of coming together. And that, like, that was basically like Biden's whole theme this last few weeks was about unity. Right. Like that was what he talked a lot about, but Uh, I have some thoughts on that unity. Okay. (laughs) But, Yes, but like, I think the I fact do. that he didn't show up is a big problem because it just shows how he de- didn't care about the position to begin with. And he was just a power hungry white man. And so it's like, did we want him there? No. But did he need to be there to show the transition of power? Yes, because that just further incites people who showed up at the Capitol and did those riots. But I, I, I understand which I because I, I, I think. I understand what you mean when you say transition of power, because I think that's really important. I think a lot of times we underestimate what it means for one president to, you know, say that, okay, I've officially lost the race or to step down and say, all right, this is the next guy up and to essentially get the next administration ruling in terms of transferring all the day-to-day jobs, making sure people are updated on where we are in certain conversations and certain policies. I think that is important. However, him being there 
would have only like first off him and Joe Biden do not like each other like they have real beef like I I like I really feel like he might have cursed that man out if he showed up to his inauguration <laughs> I, you know I if, if there were little invitations you send out to who gets invited to the inauguration he would have intentionally forgot to send Trump one <laughs> like that's that's how I think he feels about him and the reason I say it's okay that he didn't show up and he probably shouldn't have showed up is because as you said Trump has a way of inciting individuals um for better or for worse right like i'm not saying his followers would have showed up and created a riot right but i do think him just being there his presence in that transfer of power would have put it at jeopardy again right people would have seen that more his followers i guess would have seen that as an opportunity you know the last hurrah to make things right on their side of the things instead of looking at it as all right we need to go ahead and get this over with at the end of the day it doesn't matter you know, whether he was there or not, right. Joe Biden is going, was going to be our next president. Him just being there just added a bit of an unknown element that I don't think was needed. It, it wasn't needed. I, I mean, I guess we just kind of see it differently in terms of what him being there would have done, because I feel like him by him not showing up, his followers can, you know, it delegitimize delegitimizes it to his followers but I think if he were to actually go and I mean part of this might just be my own sick desire to see him like face up to the fact that he lost (laughs) so I'll I'll own up to that right like it could just be that I want to see him with his like pouty lips like sitting there looking like wow I really lost this thing but like in all seriousness that's what needed to happen like he needed to man up right and if we're going to use those kinds of uh, metaphors and phrasing uh, he needed to show up and be like I lost this thing. And even if he didn't have, he didn't have to say that, but his presence there would have said that like him showing up and sitting down and shutting up would have been enough to be like, wow, he's finally like come to grips with reality. And by him not being there, it's almost like he still doesn't believe he lost. And so his followers can be like, yeah, he still didn't lose. This is just like some BS. Even like, even though, like you said, like, it doesn't actually make a difference. Biden is still president. Like they still moved on with everything, but there mm-hmm. was so much there. Like there was so much there to, to show the, the fact that he lost as crucial to the fact that, you know, we won and he lost. Like, I don't, there's no other way to put it. And I think that's just, you just, you, you just wanted to shame him. That's it. I mean, but you I just wanted to shame him a little bit. I don't think I'm the only one who wanted to, though. That's the thing. I think a lot of people wanted to see him, like, with his face rubbed in it because he he did a lot of people dirty. Like, whether he has indirectly thrown a lot of people under the bus. You know, so I think I think whether you were directly impacted by the things that he did or indirectly impacted, you wanted to see him. That's the whole point of a justice system. Like, the fact that ours is screwed up is uh, outside of this point, but I think the fact that people want justice and seek a justice system is because when you're done wrong, you want to see someone at least own up to the mistakes that they made and own up to the harm that they caused. And I don't think he ever really had to do that. And I think that, in a way, is another form of excusing the white man for all of the harms that he does to people. And I don't I don't stand for that. That's fair. I think that's... Yeah, I think that's a really fair comment because I do think... On some levels, I don't, I don't want to say he got away with something, but people people wanted him to reconcile with what he's done, to look at his work and say, this is what four years of chaos gets you. Right. Kicked out of our office and kind of disgraced. Cause, and I do and think he was- for a second time. <laughs> yes, impeached twice. Like, <laughs> who has that happened to? That Who would have thought it would have happened once, but it happened twice? And that's, 
wild setting records good job trump um (laughs) (laughs) but i do want to talk about i want to talk about biden's speech at the inauguration um did you get a chance to watch it or like go through it yeah or nah okay i watched his speech i didn't see everything like all of it uh all of the other stuff around Mm -hmm. it but i did tune in to watch his speech um and uh i thought it was like the last few of his speeches have been which is on message on point like he he seemed like he was doing well with whoever prepared his speech like he did a good job uh reciting it um but I yes he did a really good job (laughs) I, I, i know you have some issues with his talk of unity so i'm curious as to what those are it's so okay 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 so and he gave this speech after the riots, mind you, right? This is, and our country has been fairly divided, we could say this last year, um, in ways that probably haven't been, in ways we haven't seen within our lifetime. Yeah. And he gets up there and it was a really nice speech. And the first time I saw it, I was like, this was pretty good. I liked it. And then I watched it again. And then I kind of read the transcript. And I was like, he's asking for people to come together and to unify and to kind of move forward but I feel like it was too soon and with not enough, um, not enough nuance. Mm. Right. When he, when he was calling for unity, it was, he, he was very vague about it in a sense that he was saying we as a country need to come together, but I don't think he was clear if he was saying we as a country need to come together and push back against some of this bigotry, or is he asking us as a country to come together with people who are potential bigots, who have kind of incited the violence that we saw at the Capitol, who have, you know, pushed forward for policy that, that that adversely affects other people in very strong ways and that's where i was kind of again scared that he was going to sell black people out Mm. right you're calling for us to unify with individuals potentially that don't have our best interests in mind and do so without the proper what's the word i'm looking for without the proper atonement yeah because as you said trump didn't show up to this inauguration Mm. so there was no moment for him to say listen bro this is what i did and i'm a little sorry about it right for him to face the music, so to say. Right. And I, I, it just felt too soon, right? Like, like he was asking us to come together without other people acknowledging, like they had a hand in this. You know, our neighbors, not you know, our neighbors, normal Americans had a hand in oppressing other individuals and inciting violence and promoting these white ideology thoughts. And I think that's dangerous. I think that's really dangerous to ask a country to heal too soon without looking at why those wounds were inflicted in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I, I think that's a very valid concern that could come out of his speech. Um, but I also guess I'm thinking of like, what, what the purpose of, once again, it's like the, the inauguration process is a very symbolic one that I don't think is like the, the end all be all for what everything is or is not. And so I definitely think like, you're right. Like it could give some of those concerns, but it, it it didn't give that it didn't give that like high level of concern to me because I know he's got mm-hmm. I, whether he said it in his speech or not was it as crucial to me as making sure that in these next four years he actually does it like boots on the ground makes those changes his inaugural speech does not dictate that for me as much as like um what I see him doing with like how you were just talking about his cabinet and stuff like that that's what I think mm-hmm. um matters more to me so I definitely get the concern, though, and I think it's very valid and very fair. Um, but it kind of makes me think, so in a way, you kind of haven't moved away from your critiques of him back in November. Like, you're still going to keep that kind of 
that bullet on his back in a way, would you say? Have to, have to, have to, have to hold him accountable. Because I, I think it's, it, it's too easy for us to think the fight is over, right? right? That Joe Biden is here and he's going to save the country and reunify us. And we're just going to go back to business as usual, right? Glossing right. over some of these deep-seated um, you know, economic issues, glossing over some of these racial injustices that are continually perpetuated. I think it's too easy to let him off the chain just because you know he beat Trump. And that's not enough for me. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was just going to say something also that this makes me think about is kind of the heat on Kamala Harris. Like, I remember being kind of on the fence about how I should feel and what I was feeling. And I would go back and forth in terms of like, yeah, you know, I know some of her policies, but then also I was like, yeah, it's black woman. But probably one of my favorite moments, one of my favorite moments was seeing her and Michelle with their oh my yes <laughs> done to the T outfits like they were looking fresh and I was like you know what yes like kind of it kind of relates Ooh. to what we were talking about with soul but in reverse right so it's like for you it was good solid representation of a barber sh- shop experience for me it was mm-hmm. like these are black women showing out and showing up like of their with specifically with respect to their fits like their outfits and their hair and so i think that kind of shifted me in terms of like policies aside like she is a good solid representation for like a place that a little girl like me or like some other black girl could get to you know so yes that that inauguration is going to be legendary. Like, I, I really think Michelle Obama stole the show. I, oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Because, like, that's all she, she does. She just kind of showed up, and everybody forgot anybody else was there. Yeah. You know, nobody cared about Barack. Nobody cared about Biden. You know, Kamala showed up, and it was like, oh, you know, these two awesome black women are here, and they're going to – everything just felt better. Yeah, yeah, they were stunned, and I was proud of it, and I was like, yes, and – and I don't know, something about it, I was like, it, it, felt, it felt good to see Black women finally in the position of leadership. Like, she is the vice president, and nobody can say she's not. Like, nobody can take that from her. And I think the idea that for so long it was solely, like, solely a position for men. I mean, the presidency is still mm-hmm. that, still that. Like, we still got that last, like, step to go. But um, I think that was just a good kind of, good signaling moment that she represented in that moment, which is interesting because I've heard a lot of people talk about like criticisms of the fact that she's black, you know, cause once again, she's, she's mixed. And so it's like that whole old mm-hmm. debate of, of being biracial comes up and it's, it's a, how it's dedicated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very fascinating because I'm like, yeah, I mean, just like how you hold a, you know, Biden accountable there has to be that same accountability for her like if she's gonna use it she's gotta own it and she's gotta and she's and she's gotta show up for us with this thought of accountability um accountability and adversity I want to I did want to talk about his cabinet for like just two minutes and um you know the cabinet has often been kind of a signaling factor in what policy like policy is going to be pushed through you know, through the course of a term. And as we saw with Trump's cabinet, it was majoritatively white men who had been there and who had done that. Um, it was very lacking in terms of diversity. And that it showed, I think, in the policies that he was put forward. Yeah. Joe Biden has kind of, it's been, I don't want to call it radical, but he has definitely turned, I think, turned 
turn the new page and what the standard is for electing your cabinet. I think over half of half of his cabinet is women, um, as it should be. Um, to say a lot of there are a lot of new faces being like being elected into these positions, and a lot of those positions getting <clears throat> and getting more importance, especially in, in terms of like some of his, the people he's elected for these environmental positions. But I was very can, not concerned. But I want us to be um, cautious of the type of change that he's offering, because a lot of those cabinet members are, oh, hold on, yeah, never mind. A lot of those cabinet members are people who served in the Obama administration. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Right? It's okay to have career politicians. It's okay to have people who have done the job before, because that's how you get expertise. That's not always how you get new ideas. That's not always how you get the best man for the job, so to speak. And I just want us to be, I, there, were, there, were, there were two picks that kind of, that kind of stood out to me. Um, Pete Buttigieg, um, uh, yeah, Pete Buttigieg being elected uh, for the Secretary of Transportation, and who was it? Lloyd Austin, um, the nomination for the Defense Secretary. Um, so Lloyd Austin is a black general or a former black general. He's retired now, retired four-star general. Um, he served in the U.S. Army for forever, it seems like. Um, it oversaw a lot of a lot of strategy that was done in the Middle East. Um, he required a bit of a special nomination, though, because of the job that he was coming from. He was what's the word, or not what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he was essentially he was working in the in the private industry, um, private industry uh, with a very big weapons country, um, not weapons country, weapons manufacturer. In terms of like whether that's supplying various various weapons, um, guns, things of war, to our country, and I thought that was it was interesting, right? Because here we have a black man filling this position for the first time, but he's coming from a very wealthy industry that influences our government a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is a diverse pick, someone we haven't seen here before, someone who's qualified to do this, but I want us to be cautious about the type of influence we're having over our government because there are a lot of critiques about a lot of politi- politicians being bought out by these large corporations or simply coming from large businesses and then coming over and creating policy that is best for the companies they were just coming from or best for someone else's pockets. And I'm not saying he's going to do that. I'm not saying, you know, he's been bought out or he's sold out. But I do think that was kind of something that went unnoted or under the radar in terms of him being essentially a pick from a large corporation, even though, again, he has served before. Right. And again, there are also a number of other people, but also Pete Buttigieg. Um, he ran for president, obviously, back in, 20, back in 2020. He ran against Biden. He was not successful, obviously. But he is also one of the first openly gay politicians that we've had run for president. But what does he know about transportation is the question. <laughs> I, I, I get, he was a mayor. Um, he was a very successful mayor. And he has, done, I, he has done a great deal in terms of what it means to have diverse voices in the room. But this pick just felt like it was diversity for the sake of diversity. <laughs> yeah. I, they just put an openly gay man in a position. So to say that we pick somebody. And I don't know if I like that. Yeah. Well, um, I, mean, I think what, what's, what comes out of, of what you were just describing to me is, is the importance of diversity with intentionality. So it's not enough mm. to just have them in positions of power, but have them in effective positions of power in places where they're not in that position because they tick a box that says we are now diverse. We, you know, will not get sued for equal employment opportunities, um, but that they have the skills, the knowledge, the expertise, and they have, like you said, the new and fresh ideas. I think 
what not the presidential election showed, but some of the more um, state to state elections showed is that people are really looking for representation at its at its most general form at its most like I don't want to call it pure form, but like as close to authentic as possible. And so, you know, I think there there was like this wave of people where it's like, it didn't matter your background. As long as you had a passion for civic duty, you could get into office, but it has to be an, an intentional part of your process to get into a position that you can be effective in and that you can serve well in. And so, yeah, like you make a really good point about Pete Buttigieg. It's like, I'm sure he has knowledge just by way of his previous jobs. So he's not going to, it's not like he's going to do a bad job, but was there maybe, you know, an office that he could better serve and not because of his, you know, sexual orientation, but because that was where his best skills lie, you know? And the fact, like we should get to a point where the fact that they are a diverse pick doesn't matter. It's because of their skill set, Right. So, like, the mm-hmm. fact that he is gay and in the cabinet should not be the focal point. It's, here's all of these reasons why he does this position well. And, oh, yeah, we also have someone who's gay in that position. Look, gay people can do it all because that does not define you. And it's not the sole part of your identity that, like, makes or breaks your ability to do well in politics. And so I think that's what we have to be really critical of is, like, how intentional are they being with these diversity picks? Are they truly uh informed or are they uh kind of like uh what's that game where you you like you throw you you throw the 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 beanbag horseshoes it's not a horseshoe oh it's like um it's like a carnival game like that where you just throw a beanbag or a, a what's, ball what's it called and you're trying to hit the rings or hit them in the cornhole yeah 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 so it's like we got to make sure we're not playing a game of cornhole and 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 we're not just like <laughs> throwing throwing darts up there and then wherever they stick that's where they stick we'll give them the point because they got it on the board right like did you just bring up the game cornhole on this podcast <laughs> even though i couldn't remember the name of it i've been killing it with these weird references lately like this is totally unrelated but i was i was able to describe something the other day by using a lion king reference and an ice age reference so i'm like i'm really good at this for no reason. You're really good at this? I'm really oh, good. you're really good at this? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you that one. I'm going to give you that one. One point for Angelique. Um, and I do want to, I do want to, I don't want to act like I'm just hating on, on this administration because they have made some good picks. One of the, one of the picks that they were, that's been universally kind of praised is the nomination for the Department of the Interior. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know, the Department of the Interior, like, takes care of all of our, like, our national resources. So whether that's, like, our parks, um, where we're, like, pulling certain resources, like, in terms of water, that type of thing. And the person he chose was Deb Holland. And it was a really good pick. This is not only the first Native American individual to serve as a cabinet secretary, but she's also been very close in terms of – she's been very close with the populations that have been affected by climate change and our various, like – scavenging from natural resources the most, right? Whether that's various Native American tribes <clears throat> or her own, like her own hometown people. Um, she's been an outspoken advocate for like various like green, like green, 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 um, green policies, particularly the Green New Deal. And she's a big, she's very big on making sure we're not increasing the amount of our fossil fuel usage. So I think that was a good pick, not only that with the diversity is necessarily going to enhance their ability to do the job, but also one where you have someone who was competent 
and knows what they're doing and knows how to talk the lingo for getting things done. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like exactly, you know, goes to my point. It was a, a, a diversity pick that had intentionality behind it. It had purpose behind it. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully it serves well. Um, but, but with all of this in mind, like with these cabinet members um, that have been picked and big, big talks of unity, big talks of diversity um, out of everything that he said, do you think Biden with this cabinet has a good chance of living up to all of the expectations that are now set for him in this administration? Yes, yes, definitely yes. Like he has, he has all the tools. He has, I think he has all the tools that he could ask for. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And I'm definitely not saying it's going to, you know, the next four years is going to be a breeze. But I will say any type of shortcomings that come from his administration will be because they did not try hard enough. Mm-hmm. Will be because they did not dig deep enough into the resources they have available. It's, it's going to be because they weren't willing to go the extra mile. They have everything they need in my opinion to do that whatever they need to do at least for the next two years um at least for the next two years i'll say that so i he's got the tools i don't I, there's no to me there's no excuse anymore hmm. so it's 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 make or break time it sounds like it is it is and to be fair to him again he you know he hasn't he hasn't messed up yet <laughs> so you know yes. keep doing what you're doing yes it's the <laughs> he's doing something right there yeah, look, somewhere along the way, he's going to do something that I'm going to be a little upset about or a little more critical than I have been about. And it's going to be, you know, we're going to talk about it. But until then, good job, Joe Biden. I'm glad you're making, you know, you're making me proud. And, uh, you know, keep it up. <laughs> I might vote for you again. <laughs> wow. That is high praise. Keep it up. Uh, but even so, like, so... The next four years, as we as we you know kind of alluded to, aren't going to be like a cakewalk. What do you think is the biggest challenge he has to overcome in terms of making sure this country is successful? Um, I mean, I think that's hard to identify uh, a singular biggest challenge because I think he has the un- unfortunate reality that he has to clean up the mess of the last four years. So in a way, it's like if he even accomplishes fixing one of the like 90 things that are wrong right now, I, w- I will tip my hat to him in a way. Um, okay. So I think, I, think obviously, I think obviously right now, the biggest challenge is to get the COVID-19 virus under control. Like I think the country, For sure. the country is just like at a point where half of us have moved on and we're sick of it. And the other half of us are still like hiding in their apartments. And, you know, like me, go out to, like, basically get food and then hermit for the rest of the time. And I think when you have that, like, spread of people, it's very difficult to get control of something that is so infectious. And so I think that's probably his number one thing. I know a lot of people are, like, the economy. Like, we've got to get this economy together. But, like, the economy is only going to get better when people aren't, like, dying every day from this thing like, at mass rate. very well spoken like <laughs> very well. i feel like i feel like economists like this is why i struggled so much when i took econ in college and this is why i like struggle even now with with talking about econ terms uh with with, with my boyfriend because i'm just like i don't get i don't get that importance when like the human aspect literally has to come first and so uh i think the the dire constraints people are feeling like the economic squeeze that people are feeling are a direct result of not having gotten this um, virus under control. And so I think fix that first, then very quickly after, and really kind of in tandem, it can happen. 
uh, it doesn't have to be one after another, but like the focus mm-hmm. can shift more to the economy. But I do think that that's such a big concern with people. Like so many people are struggling right now financially that that is going to have to be an immediate like resolution soon after getting the virus under control. So I would say like between those two things, it's hard to say one, but getting the virus under control and then getting the economy back on track is probably the big concerns that they have to uh, fix. Okay. I know this is like Black Docs podcast, so I'm supposed to be like, they need to fix these racial issues. But I'm like, I mean, literally just last night. So this is like something that's been on my mind uh, for the last mm-hmm. 24 hours. But I I needed to use the bathroom and I was out and I was I didn't have the uh, time to like drive all the way back home. And so I went into um, a grocery okay. store to use the bathroom. And when I was in there, some lady stopped me and she handed me a card. And, you know, most people, when people try to stop you and hand you something, you think it's solicitation, you move on. But I had just recently yeah. saw a post on Instagram that was describing some challenges, some deaf and, and, and um, mute people uh, experience uh, because, like, they'll try to ask for directions or something like that. And they'll hand someone a card and people will ignore them. It's like they're just trying to ask for directions, but, you know, they're either deaf or mute. And so they can't communicate that. Um, and so that was fresh in my mind. So I stopped and I read her card and her card was basically describing how she had lost her job. She had five kids and she was just asking for someone to buy groceries and she had like a cart full of groceries and like my heart broke for that woman. And, um, you know, she was like, please, please. And I could tell by the way she was saying, please, that she was not a native English speaker. And I couldn't identify where her accent was from, but I could just tell that she English was her second language, um, whether or not she was born here or or not. Um, and so I like I felt so bad for her, right? Because like that's most likely a result of everything that's been going on in the country right now, like job loss and then having a family to provide for, and you can't even afford your groceries. And you know, unfortunately, in these times, it's not like you walk around, or at least I don't walk around carrying like enough money to pay for someone's groceries. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I literally hadn't even brought my card into the grocery store. I had like a few bucks on me. And so if they tried to make me pay for something, I was going to like buy a pack of gum just to use the bathroom. So I only gave her $10, but I felt really, really bad for only giving her $10. Like I was like, I should have done more, should have given her more. Like, you know, the assumption people would have what? is that, you know, there's something that she could do, but I don't think that that's the case. Like, I think that that situation is very representative of the struggles people are facing right now. There. Yes. That, that was a per That was honestly a great story because there is a large, there's a large population, large population of people in this country right now who want to help themselves, but simply don't have the means, right? Like they're like this. I, I think very often we think of this pandemic as, Oh, we got to stay inside. No more fun. But people have lost jobs. Right. And they haven't come back. Right. They haven't been able to pay their rent. They haven't been able to buy groceries. They've been depending on either soup kitchens or people donating to them from various churches. And very often, I don't. I, I think some of us we don't we don't run into that reality often enough. I remember, I remember my mom when she she so she does hair. She works in salons, you know, and that type of stuff. Um, when the pandemic happened, you know, she was like, "Is it safe for me to keep working? I have small children at home." Right. You know, she wasn't sure if she was going to send my little sister back to school or not. And she's been online this entire year. Um, But eventually she had to leave her job 
because not only was business drying up, but it wasn't safe for her to be there anyway. And there's just there's always a a small amount of fear for people who are the providers for their family, the caregivers, especially those who don't have jobs that they can do over a computer or they don't have skills that are readily transferable to another industry. What am I going to do to eat? Because if you don't work in this country, you don't eat. Right. And that's scary. That's really scary. If you haven't been in that position and you don't know what you're going to do and you don't know what your next steps are and you don't have resources you can readily reach out to. Um, I'm glad you give that lady that $10. I really am. And I hope she, you know, I hope she finds her way. But that's that's just the reality of a lot of people right now. I, Where's my I, next meal coming from? Yeah, I just I feel like, you know, that's why I say I think that's the biggest challenge of the administration, because I think that that reality isn't hitting people at the highest levels of government. They don't see that as apparently as you would if you're just on your day to day life, you know, running into it. I was at a giant's like that's like a local chain here, you know. Um, right. And and fortunately, though, um, you know, my boyfriend found it in his heart. You know, he he saw how upset I was. And so he felt compelled to, to give her uh, even more money. And so uh, but then he came back and he was like, you know, he, he was like, I don't even think that she speaks any English because she was asking like if I would buy the groceries. And so I don't think that she can even like read all of the, the signs and stuff. And I was like, you know, that like tore my heart up even more because I was like, it's one thing to be an American and dealing with the pandemic and dealing with financial loss. And then to be an immigrant and having to deal with that additional burden is something that like, I don't know if uh, DC, you know, Capitol Hill is thinking about that, but they need to be, and they've got to, they've got to charge head first into <laughs> fixing it because there's so much that is, there's so many people who are like that in this country. And, and it, it there is, are. it's so, it, it moves my heart, you know, so like, yes, I am all about fixing our issues in the black community and for the black community. But I think that's right now, like, what's like burdening my heart the most. Do you think that's like, I mean, everybody talks about this, like, when's it going to be over? or When is things going to go back to normal? Like, do you think four years from now, when his you know term is up, whether he's reelected or not, like, we're still going to be seeing the effects of some of this? Absolutely. I think that's I think that's the American privilege kind of seeping in when people talk about like, when is this going to be over? Because I think the harsh reality is that this is the new reality, like the impacts of what has happened over this last year are going to be far past what anyone can probably conceptualize right now. And even if it doesn't play out in big scales as like, you know, we end up in a five year depression or something crazy like that, I think you'll see it in little microwaves. And I think you'll see it in little moments across the country. Um, you know, and so I think that what those changes will be and what that will look like might differ and might not be what I'm even thinking of in this moment. But um, I think we'll still be seeing, even at the end of his presidency, if he does everything right, like everything as he should, I think we'll still be seeing some of these impacts and still see people kind of struggling to get themselves back to a place of, of stability. <sighs> Good gosh, you're making me sad. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's happening. fine. But like, that's no, let's let's take a short break. I need a break. <laughs> okay, we're back after that kind of emotional uh, end. We're gonna we're gonna switch uh, gears a bit and talk briefly about the Georgia elections. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast. Georgia did, in fact, switch from being a red state or a state that voted Republican in the presidential ticket um, to a blue state. Um, And not only did they end up 
going blue for the presidential race. Um, they ended up having a special election runoff um, for the Senate seat. Um, and so I think uh, generally a lot of people are giving credit and praise to Stacey Abrams, my uh, Spellman sis, uh, for her work in this race. A lot of people uh, are giving her credit for the fact that Georgia turned blue um, and, and, you know, called her the primary, like, motivator or the primary, like, cause of this happening. And so shouts out to her for, for doing the dang thing. Um, and uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the special elections, Caleb? Yeah, yeah, I'll talk about it. I actually actually vote in Georgia, so I went to this election. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was, like, a little more tense than usual. I think a lot of times when we go and vote, it's like a fun thing we get to do every now and then and every, you know, and sometimes we have to do jury duty because of it. But this was like a really intense election. And like, I just remember pulling up that morning and I was like, you know, I walked into my normal precinct and things weren't like jolly. <laughs> like, you know, the greeters there didn't say, hi, how are you doing this morning, sir? You know, nobody was, we were all just there to do our business. And it was almost a little obvious who was voting for who, mm. but congratulations congratulations and good job to everyone who voted in that election um georgia has never had a black senator before and my you know somebody i'm proud to call my morehouse brother Raphael warnick class of 91 was elected georgia's first black senator and that's a big deal i think that's a really big deal and and it's it's just amazing because i think a lot of times we we think that our vote doesn't count it doesn't matter you know this election isn't gonna mean anything to me but this election did mean something because it gave the Democratic Party two more seats and two more seats in the Senate that were very pivotal. And now Joe Biden or Kamala Harris is going to be the tiebreaker on a lot of those issues or a lot of those policies and bills they put forward. So good job. You like you, you did it. You really did it. I don't want to say you saved democracy, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you definitely made it a lot safer for a lot more black people to participate in. And that is important. That was, it was really important to me. I was really, I don't know. I was proud of the work Georgia did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was rightfully talked about as a very historic moment and um, a very like consequential in terms of how Congress ends up shaping out over the next four years and how well the Biden administration will be able to push through legislation. It's like you said, I mean, now there's no excuses. Like they've got, no reason to not get stuff done. Um, and it really yes. did kind of come down to, to Georgia in, in that sense. So um, kind of a positive, it, it got a positive the whole thing. about the whole election <laughs> process. Yes, it was. Now let's talk about, let's talk about these riots. we got to talk about these riots. I just, yes. let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so what was that like January 6th? Yes. January 7th is January 6th. What, what was your, what was your immediate reaction when you found out? this happened so i've got to tell another story about this one because uh the day before the riots happened there was a certain someone that is in my life who was talking about how they wanted a little drama a little spice about what's going on in the whole electoral process they felt like it was a little bland and so i remember who would say that (laughs) i'm gonna leave them anonymous because i don't know if they want that shared (laughs) But oh, we're gonna talk about this, but keep going. <laughs> hey, basically, it was it was said in jest, like it wasn't like I actually want like riots to break out, but I remember right, right. it was a very it was it stuck in my head because the very next day the riots happened and people so so 
basically what happened is white supremacists and Trump supporters were like, Trump should have won that ish and stormed the Capitol. And they breached the the defenses of the Capitol and basically just were praying through, trashing it, taking pictures and videos and acting like they didn't have the sense God gave them. And, you know, I my immediate reaction was one of a secondary one. It was basically like, I'm surprised that other people are surprised that they are able to get away with this. I think on a large scale, it was like considered a national awakening. Like people finally had to reckon with white, white supremacy at its peak, at its like most apparent because everybody and their mama, like every black person and their mama was saying, if this had been black folks, all of them would have been shot. They would have been dead. Ain't no reason there should have been like seven recordings of people climbing the walls of the Capitol, you know, and not a single one of them got shot down by the police. And of course, we were making jokes. We were kiki ha ha, and like that's because they saw their cousin. They were like, "Can't shoot, you know, cousin Joey. Can't shoot Uncle Rick." Like, <laughs> and so like, you know, we laughed and we joked about it, but it was very real. And I was just more shocked that people were shocked. Like, I was like, "Are y'all really surprised at this?" Like, I feel like this has been something that was not to be expected, but that they kind of told us it, it's like people it's like people in the 1950s and 60s being shocked that the KKK burned somebody at the stake like like they said they wanted to do it they have op- they haven't been hiding their personal views and they were given the opportunity and you know you di- Karen didn't stop Bobby and so they stormed the capitol so why are we shocked why are we pretending like this is a new thing you know that was kind of how i felt about it that's yeah, that's that makes sense. And I <laughs> I'm not laughing. I mean I am a laughing a little bit, but I was um I was sitting on I was like I was sitting on my bed. My brother was in the room, right? And I, I think I was like playing a video game or something. He goes, Yo, they, they storm in the Capitol. I'm like, what are you talking about? They storm in the Capitol. He's like, they're in the Capitol building right now. I'm like, who is this they? And I'm you know, I immediately like scroll to my phone, I'm trying to see what's happening, and all I see are these white faces in the Capitol building parading around it like they own the place. Like, like, this is where they're supposed to be. Like, they're elected officials. And my immediate thought was, is this a coup? Like, is this how, is this how democracies die? Like, yeah. are we witnessing the start of another civil war? Because I, it was scary. Right. It was very, very scary. And Angelique, you were a lot closer, closer to it than me. But right now, I'm, I'm in South Carolina with my mom. Mm-hmm. And South Carolina is a very red state, if you did not know. And it's not so much that we were afraid that this was going to be the end of the government, because I think we very quickly saw that people were doing this. I don't want to say more so in jest, but without serious intent, not, I don't even want to say serious intentions of harming people without the intentions of establishing a new government. Right. But this was a signal to other people in more conservative places to do, to say like, you can do something radical and nothing's going to happen. Right. This was the ultimate flex of white people's privilege and nothing took place. Right. Some people are going to go to jail. And I do want to be, some people did lose their lives in these riots. Right, right. But that wasn't, I don't think that was the, what we drew from this. What we drew from this is that there are still a population of people who can do whatever they want within these borders. And they are not going to face massive levels of persecution. They are not going to face any sort of um, hard time. They are not going to, like, because this, this is a treasonous act. I don't I don't know what else you want to call it. This was a treasonous act. There if you listen if you listen like immediately in the week following, there were a number of 
a number of like state legislators, you know, who were coming out and talking about the experience. And these people were scared. Like here they were, they thought they were just coming in to confirm the electoral college votes. And suddenly their building is under attack. Right. There were people marching through the hallways saying, where's Mike Pence? It's time to string him up. Like there were people saying, where's Nancy Pelosi? We're about to kill her. Like these were, these were dangerous individuals. And I'm, I, I don't know what would have happened if they'd found somebody. And I'm glad they didn't. Right. But this could have been a lot worse than what it actually was. And I think it needs to be a wake-up call that the people who are doing the most harm to this country are not the people, are not some far-right individuals, you know, that no one's ever heard of. Like, these people who are sitting in their basement, stocking up on, you know, AR-15s and, like, you know, preparing for the next apocalypse. These are your neighbors. These are normal people. Yeah. These are people who voted for Donald Trump. These are people who participate in elections regularly. These are people who try to shape policy. And this was their way of saying, we don't like the way this country is going. We want to keep it white for the rest of eternity. And it was scary. It was very scary. Yeah, but I mean, I think even with that, like, there's a problem with, like, this needs to be a wake-up call. Why do we still need a wake-up call? Like, was it not readily apparent all last summer when Black folks were getting shot left and right by the police? Like, that's, no, why, because it, they, like, that's why I was or, saying I was more upset with people who were surprised by it. Because I'm like... How can you sit here and act like this is some newfangled thing? Like, we told y'all it was your Karens. Like, we told you. We literally told you. And we showed you. And, I mean, like you said, yes, there were, like, five deaths, right, I think, in total from those riots. But, like, let that have been a protest for another four years of Trump where there were um, Black people, where there were immigrants, where there were literally anyone who wasn't white. And you would have seen the same thing we saw in Atlanta when over the summer, you know, in 2020, when there was people were gas getting gassed in the face and uh, being literally shut down the ground. You know, like I was Mm -hmm. like, come on. They were ready to deploy the National Guard in some states quicker than they were in the capital city, the capital (laughs) with the whole of our like central government. Really? Like every important politician that was you know that, that that kind of like that works operates within that building was there that day yeah. all of them were there yeah. chilling thinking it was going to be a normal day and it was not yeah and i think that like and when I, you see the videos of like some of the congressional um like members like cowering and saying prayers together like these are still real people too like yes they are elected officials but they want to live and they did not get into that position to be like uh, like harassed by people who are upset that their privilege is getting a little smaller. Like, I don't think that that's what needs to be the shocked factor that wakes America up. We need to have already been there and this needs to be the end of it. And if it's not, it's just a sad reminder of like people's just willingness to ignore reality. And this, and on your, on, on your comments of saying, like, why were you surprised? Black people were not surprised, right? Black people were not. You know, any, any yes. <laughs> black people were not surprised. This was your, your, your run-of-the-mill, you know, middle, like, censor white person. They were the ones surprised. Yeah. People and, who said... Like my community right now. <laughs> like, you know, now I'm in a higher education institution. And I, so I think hearing, like everyone's reactions around that space is really what I was, because you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, any black person I talked to was like, mm-hmm. sounds we about told white. You. <laughs> totally. <laughs> sounds about so we white. We told you this was coming. And it's, and I, and I want to make this like, I hope this is abundantly clear to everybody. This was not like a fit of rage. 
This was not something that was, you know, spontaneous. People didn't just suddenly say, let's get in here. There were people who came prepared to do damage, yeah. prepared to from other prepared the country. Yes, this was an organized event. People had been rallying around this date for months after not months, at least and after Donald Trump was declared the loser in the election. So don't think that this is something that, well, they didn't mean to, right? Things just got a little out of hand. No, they plotted for a moment of chaos. They wanted you to be fearful. They wanted to potentially seize an opportunity to do something in their favor. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, or at least it didn't happen in the most devastating ways. But we need to get away from this mindset that racism is something that passively happens. There are still active people who want to do harm to people of color in this country. And it, it, they, they don't look, again, they don't look like crazy people. They look like your neighbors. They look like the people you work with, the people you go to school with. They look like everyday Joes. And it's, it's despicable. And so I, okay, so like, what I, I guess we're, what was your biggest takeaway, I guess, from this situation erupting? I think my biggest takeaway from this was, was maybe people aren't as, like, it was a kind of a wake-up call to me in a sense of maybe people aren't as on the same page in educated spaces as I thought they should be. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think, I think in a way a takeaway was like I I still have to have my guard up like this is still an ongoing fight that you have to have within those spaces because I think like you said even from my perspective it was oh it's these like radicals um, that I have to you know battle and contest their ideas but no it's like I have to also remind you know the liberal white people that I go to school with that hey yeah we're it, things aren't as peachy as you think they are um, and I think you know, conversely, the the takeaway is, like, this bet not happen again. Like, if we still have this happen in a year, two years, whatever, I, I think there has to be something even more radical done than just deploying the National Guard and arresting. Because some people did get arrested, right? Like, I don't know if we said, but some people did get arrested and are facing criminal charges. But it's got to be something more than that to make people take this seriously. I will say that if I don't, and I don't think anybody who participated in this action is listening to our podcast. Yeah. But if you are, <laughs> but if you are, welcome to the, you know, welcome to the show. But also know that your actions have consequences, right? It's not okay for you to storm, you know, a federal building and then put it on Instagram. Tell all your Facebook friends to pull up and say we're taking the Capitol. Know that the consequences of this may not be you going to jail. But they are going to affect people, right? I, I, I think I think this is going to look like increased security, whether that's within the D.C. area or all over the country. And we all know that when there are more cops, that means there are more interactions with civilians, typically black people. Right. This isn't something that's just going to go away. And this isn't something people are just going to forget about. I hope that anyone who was supposed to be preventing this atrocity from taking place has a takes a hard look at themselves and says, maybe I need to be doing my job better or maybe I need to be looking out for different types of indicators of violence because you surely were not looking out for them on that day. It was, this was the ultimate, again, like the ultimate flex of privilege. And it was really disturbing. And this isn't, I don't think anybody wants this. Nobody wants this to come to violence. I think people would much rather talk out their differences than come to fists. Um, And just please be careful. Please be careful 
with your words and with who you associate yourself with and stop doing stop doing crazy stuff making it bad for the rest of us <laughs> well gosh yeah i think that about sums up the city. just <laughs> everybody just trying to live angelique what is your what's your final black thought of the day um i think my final black thought is going to be a rather happy one like you know with every with all the craziness uh, of the capital riots aside i think the biggest thing that comes out of the 2020 election process was that when, when we show up and when we show out, we get things done. So uh, my last black thought is black people keep on pushing and doing what we do um, because we do it, period. <laughs> <laughs> it's just we simple. do it. We do it. Uh, Caleb, what is your last black thought of the day? Um, my last black thought of the day. Uh, good job, black folks. You have endured a tremendous year. 2020 was a lot harder on you than it probably was on anybody else, but the work is not done. So I'm sorry, but you do not have the privilege to be tired yet. You still have people you have to hold accountable, people you have to vote into office, people you have to vote out of office. Please be very wary and please be cautious of the work we still have to do to create a better country for ourselves and for people that come after us. It's my final black thought of the day. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to uh, another episode of Two Black Thoughts. We'll see you next time. See you later, folks.